When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in, town that ta- a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was living, was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. And good evening, everybody. My name is Emma. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm the children's pastor here at HTC. And it's so great to see all of you here tonight. Now, for those of you who haven't been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at a sermon series called No One Like Jesus. But I was just aware as I say those words, and as we reflect on those words, there's no one like Jesus. I'm just aware that actually, for some of us here tonight, that might not actually be our reality. That might not actually be the reality in our hearts. You know, some of us might have just come here tonight, we might have been dragged along by a friend, you might not class yourself as a Christian, and if that's you, I just want to say, welcome, hello, welcome to HTC, you're so loved, you're so welcome here And maybe you do class yourself as a Christian, maybe you come every week, but for you, saying those words, you think to yourself, do I really believe them? Do I really live out my life as if there's really no one like Jesus? Or maybe it's the other extreme, you're on fire for Jesus and you're like, yes, I love you, Jesus, this is all true. It's amazing. Well, basically, however you're feeling, whether it's fantastic about Jesus or whether you're thinking actually Jesus is no one there's not no one like Jesus you're welcome and you're loved here and as we kind of look into this passage tonight as we delve into this passage I would just love to invite you and ask you one thing just to have an open heart just to have an open heart as we look at God's word 
And also, as we look through this passage, just to be asking yourself throughout, what do I think about Jesus? We say, Jesus, you know, there's no one like him. But in your heart, how do you see Jesus? Who is Jesus for you? So, talking about what we think about Jesus, there's two people in this passage that see Jesus. We have Simon the Pharisee, and we have this sinful woman. Now, a Pharisee is basically a religious person. And these people, you know, they were seen as quite high up in society. And Simon, he's kind of sussing Jesus out here because he sees Jesus as a bit of a threat. Because actually, you know, he's been causing a bit of a ruckus in town, you know. He's been getting a bit of a name for himself. And he's thinking, hmm, I don't like this. So that's, that's kind of what Simon's thinking. And then we have the complete opposite extreme with this sinful woman. So we have Simon who's thinking, who is this Jesus? Is he a prophet or is he just a good teacher? One thing I definitely do not want to believe about Jesus is that he's any more than that. I don't want to believe that Jesus is God. That, that, that can't be right. Whereas we look on the other end of the spectrum, we see this sinful woman. And the clue's in the name, really, isn't it? She did not have a great reputation for herself. In fact, she had the worst reputation for herself. Now, this woman was probably a prostitute, which for us in our day-to-day language, it might not sound that bad, but actually, in those days, a prostitute would have been the lowest of the low. You wouldn't have even wanted to look at them. They would have been the most disgusting person. So imagine, imagine the scene that we've just read. Imagine how shocked Simon and all the Pharisees would be to see this dirty, sinful woman waltz into their home. You know, they probably, she probably didn't even knock, she probably just let herself in. And not only had the audacity to do that, but then to walk straight up to Jesus and fall at his feet and even touch him. They would have been absolutely shocked to see this. And actually, Jesus, look at his response. He doesn't shoo her away. He's not surprised. He welcomes her. You know, he sees her in all of her dirtiness, in all of her sin, all the things she's done wrong. And he loves her. And he lets her weep in adoration at his feet. He sees everything she's done and he says, do you know what? Come to me. And I can just imagine him, it doesn't say it in the passage, but I can just imagine Jesus smiling, thinking, she's got it. She's understood. She's recognized who I am. And I think that is the main difference, isn't it, between Simon the Pharisee and this sinful woman. The main difference, it's not their class, it's not their education, it's not their social position, it's not how good or bad they are. The main difference between them is who they recognize Jesus to be and how they respond to who Jesus is. Because I think to the outside eye, this sinful woman's reaction to Jesus, it probably seems a bit over the top. Imagine you're just having dinner, a nice civilized dinner, and somebody comes rushing in, weeping, pouring perfume over someone's feet. It seems ridiculous. 
That's just it. The sinful woman's reaction to Jesus is actually the more appropriate one because she knows that he's not just a good teacher. He's not even an amazing prophet. She recognizes that Jesus is God and that Jesus has the power to forgive all the bad things she's done and wipe away everything that was unclean inside of her. Now, I think it can be really, really hard sometimes to believe and to live out that there's no one like Jesus. And even for myself sometimes, I find myself having to remind myself, right, who is Jesus again? Fantastic. What, what does he do for me? Okay, fantastic. What does this mean for my life? Okay, and sometimes you have to kind of chew over the gospel and because it's so easy to forget how good the gospel is and how good Jesus is. And so one of the joys of my job as a children's pastor here is that I get to basically tell, cho- tell children every week how great Jesus is and <laughs> tell, him, uh, tell them about what he's done for us. And I just wanted to share a quick story which happened a couple of weeks ago. So I run a Key Stage 1 drama after school club on a Thursday. And this is from children kind of aged four to seven years old. And this club is, it's kind of like an outreach thing where children come, they play football, and we tell them about a Bible story and sometimes we act it out. But normally, they're not there for the Bible story. They're there for the football. They're there for the craft. They're there for the Play-Doh and the snacks. So 3.45 every Thursday, they come to Trinity House and there's a glass door and they're all running up and they're all bashing the window, let us in, let us in. And I normally go, you've got four more minutes, you've got to wait. And they're like, how many more minutes? One more minute. And they normally rush in, start playing and they just kind of ignore us. But a couple of weeks ago, there was one boy who was holding a scrappy piece of paper and he had it pressed up against this glass window. And I was like, one more minute, you've got to wait there, and it's not time to come in yet. And I thought, oh, it's probably just a picture he's drawn me or something like that. As the children's pastor, you do get a lot of pictures. <laughs> so I was like, you can wait, you can wait. So anyway, I opened the door, and instead of him flooding in and starting to play, he says, Emma, Emma. And he's almost like, I can't believe you made me wait. And he says, I've got a question. And I was like, yes. I love questions. I love a deep discussion. Normally, I'm the one staring at up in the children, like, oh, what do you think about this? Or have we thought about that? But he was like, I've got a question. I was like, fantastic. What's your question? But what followed, I, I could not have prepared myself for. His seven-year-old mind, Jesus had obviously been working in him throughout the week. And I've actually got the piece of paper that um, he wrote the question on. I want to show it to you. I took a photo. This is what he said. He said, where did he say it? I'm going to read it from there. Why does God have to die on the cross to forgive our sins? Because he has the power to change that. Whoa. That was deep. And I was just there like, wow, I did not expect your mind to be able to think like this. And then I was like, I've got to answer this now. And and his mum was there waiting like, I don't know what to say. And I was just there like, ooh, how do I, where, where do I start with this question? And actually, the parable that Jesus says in, in this story that we've read tonight in the Bible, that kind of sprung to mind, but I thought, we can't, can't start there. We've got to start with, you know, what is sin in the first place? Why do we have this debt? Why, why do we owe anything? Why do we need forgiving? And so, 
I tried to explain to him, it was probably better then, but I tried to say, look, you know how we all make mistakes? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, there's a punishment for these mistakes. And the punishment is that when we die, we get separated from God forever. And he was like, oh, I was like, yeah, not good. And then I was like, but of course God doesn't want this. And he's like, yeah, God loves us. I'm like, yeah, God loves us. He doesn't want to be separated from us. So he sent himself down to earth as a perfect person so that he could take the punishment for all the wrong things we do. And so that when we put our trust in him, we don't have to pay the penalty of dying and being cut off from God forever. We get to have eternal life with him. We get to live with him forever and ever. And he's like, great, that sounds fantastic. And I was like, yeah. And as I said this, I was just reminded of how good it is. And this, this parable that Jesus explains, it explains it so well. I just want to read it, read it from the Bible. So if you look at verse 41, he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. Now in this parable, imagine that the money lender is Jesus. You know, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And the people that owed Jesus, imagine that's us. You know, some of us might feel like we owe so much, we've had such a sinful life. Another of us, others of us might think, I haven't been that bad. I'm a pretty good person. I probably don't owe that much. But neither of them, this is the really interesting part, neither of them had the money to pay him back. That's so hard hitting, isn't it? I think sometimes, especially when we kind of live morally good lives, we can think to ourselves, I'm not that bad. I don't think I owe anything. But look at how sobering these words are. Neither of them had the money to pay Jesus back. And actually the reality is that none of us, no matter how good we are, can earn our way into salvation, can earn our way into heaven. And it says at the end, so he forgave the debts of both. He wiped them clean. There was no way they could pay the money. Just like there's no way we can get into heaven without Jesus, who is the way. And so it doesn't matter how much we owe. We've all turned away from God. It says in Isaiah, chapter 53, verse six, all of us, like sheep, have gone the wrong way. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has put on him, Jesus, the sin of us all. Jesus, he wipes our sins away. And this is, I'm going to show a classic analogy, and this is where I wish I didn't have a handheld mic. We are all like a piece of paper. And forgive me. You know, we might not be that bad. We might make a few little mistakes. There we go. And it might not look that bad. But then if you kind of add it up throughout our whole lives, it gets messy. Let's just put it this way. We're all in a bit of a mess by ourselves. And then if we get to 
the end of our lives and we present ourselves before Jesus and we're trying to scrub away, scrub away at all the sins in our life, there's nothing we can do to pay them back. The passage tells us there's nothing we can do. And to get into heaven, we need to be completely pure, completely clean of anything. But when we come to Jesus like this woman did, when we come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness, get ready for it, woo! He makes it like a whiteboard. So here we go from my lovely illustrations. When we make mistakes, it doesn't matter how many times we make mistakes. When we come to Jesus, he's like a rubber. He wipes us clean. And when we're presented before God, God sees us as holy. He sees us as blameless. And it's not that we haven't sinned. It's just that we've been forgiven for our sins. I mean, I just think that is the most beautiful, beautiful thing anybody could ever do for us. Imagine him saying to you, like he said to that woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, I think when it comes to repentance, there's a lot of negative connotation with that word. I don't know about you, but when I think about the word repentance, it sounds very religious. It sounds like there's a lot of weight, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of self-loathing. But I would just love to share with you an experience I had recently, which completely shifted the meaning of this word in my head. So when I became a Christian, which was about five and a half years ago, I did kind of struggle with the idea of repentance because I thought to myself, I'm not really that bad, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I've lived a pretty good life, and yet I didn't know Jesus, but now I do, and I'm forgiven, this is fantastic, why do I need to be forgiven again and again and again, if I've already been forgiven? And I think sometimes we can forget the freedom that comes from repentance. So basically, this, this is what happened. It was last month, and I went to this Christian festival, very small, quaint Christian festival, like nothing I've ever been to before, not, not many people, it was really lovely. And recently, I've just got engaged, so me and my partner went, and one of the things that we've been doing is wedmin. Who'd have thought? Wedding admin. Wedding admin. And we've been smashing through it, and I've been thinking, wow, I'm so in control of this. Everything's going so well. But there was one thing that we weren't in control of. And there was one thing that we didn't have a solution for, and we still don't. That is, where are we gonna live? Where are we gonna live when we get married? And everyone's asking us, where are you gonna live? And I'm like, I don't know. So this, I didn't realize, had been causing me a bit of a lack of peace, really, because it's something that I wasn't in control of. I didn't have the answer, I couldn't control the outcome. And as I went to this Christian festival, we were worshipping, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and ask for prayer. I'm going to ask for prayer about our future living situation. And at HTC, if any of you have been here before and have come up for prayer, it's a very lovely experience. Someone lovely greets you, you know, they'll say, what would you like prayer for? And then they'll probably affirm you, pray for you, send you on your way. And it's, it's a very non-intrusive, lovely experience. 
And that's all I've really experienced. I've only ever really been here at HTC. So I went to this lovely, old-looking lady, and I went up to her. I was like, hi, I'm Emma. Can I have some, you know, prayer for me and my future like, living situation with my partner? And she said to me, can I ask you a question? I was like, oh, yeah, of course. She said, do you have a tendency to try and take control? Oh, my goodness. I was convicted. I was like, oh, I guess... I guess I do. I guess I do. I said, do you think you could pray for that as well? Do you think you could pray for my future living situation that I could, you know, just try and stop taking control of this? And she went, no. I was like, what is this? This is not what I'm used to. She went, I think you need to pray to Jesus for forgiveness. I thought the audacity, no, I'm joking. I was just like... I was like, now, I, I came up for prayer, but you want me to pray out loud, okay. So I, I kind of very, had to humble myself, and I, was, and I prayed a very good, polite prayer for forgiveness. And I was like, done, there we go. Is that, is that what you wanted? Is that all good? Fantastic. And she was like, yeah, but I, I don't think Jesus is done with you. And I was like, oh, is he not? Okay. I think you need to go and spend some time with God, I think he wants to minister to you a bit more. And I was like, okay. She's like, go and find a patch of grass. And I was like, okay, because so we're in a field. And I kind of sheepishly walk away, find a patch of grass behind the worship. And I just, I just sit down. And I sit down and I think, oh my goodness, is she still watching me? <laughs> and I was just like, okay, God, what do you want to do with me? You want to minister to me? Here I am, here I am. And I said to God, I was like, God, can you just show me my sin? Can you make me feel guilty about my sin? Or can you show me where I've been turning away from you? And in that moment, I was suddenly aware of where I hadn't fully been trusting God, of where I hadn't been trusting him with the outcome, where I wanted to take control. But in that moment of repentance, the most beautiful thing happened. And I was kind of there, a bit sheepish after this woman, I felt like she told me off. And I was just there like, oh, you're going to be angry at me. And I just felt God's presence on me. And I just felt God just say, I see you. I've seen your worry. I've seen how you've tried to take control. I see your needs. I see your desires. And I love you. And I've already forgiven you. And I was just broke down. I just started weeping. I was just like, oh my goodness, God, you are so good. Thank you so much that actually, even when I mess up and my pride stops me from recognizing how I've turned away from you and it stops me from wanting to come to you in repentance, thank you that you love me so much. And I was just filled with such a sense of freedom. And I'd realized how much weight I'd been carrying on myself from trying to take control. And it was almost like in that moment, I got to shrug off that weight. I got to shrug off that feeling of responsibility over everything in my life. And it was like, Jesus said, I give you freedom over fear. I give you freedom over the outcome of this because I'm in control. I give you freedom because I see what you need. And I care, I care about your future living situation and I want to help. And I just gave it over to Jesus and I just felt this such a sense of freedom, 
there's such a sense of forgiveness and just such a sense of my slate was completely wiped clean. And I could just start afresh. I had no shame. I had no guilt. I was just presented as completely pure in front of Jesus. And I was like, wow, I did not realize how much I needed to come and repent. And that, is, that really is my prayer for everyone, everybody tonight, that where you feel like maybe there's, there's something in you that's a bit scared to come to Jesus, like, I don't know whether you feel like he's going to be angry at you, but every time you come to him, he doesn't look at your sin and think, oh, you're disgusting. He doesn't look at our sin like the Pharisees looked at that sinful woman. He looks at us like he looked at that sinful woman and he says, I see you, I see the mistakes you've made. I love you and I want to forgive you. And every time we come to him in repentance and we say sorry, he wipes our slate clean. And it's so good. It's so freeing and it brings us so much closer to Jesus and it brings us into an attitude of adoration. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, so much. And so if you're feeling tonight like, I haven't been feeling like there's no one like Jesus, I would just encourage you to bring any weight that you've been carrying, any shame that you've been feeling, and just bring it to Jesus tonight and just say, God, I'm messy, I'm sinful, but I know you want to love me and forgive me and give me freedom. And so I would just love us all, if, if you're willing, just to close your eyes and just imagine that Jesus is standing right in front of you. Imagine he's standing right in front of you and he's, he's looking at you with such love in his eyes and he's looking at you and smiling and saying, I see you. I see everything you've been through. I see all the weight you're carrying now. I see every worry in your heart. And I want you to come to me like that woman came to me at the Pharisee's house and lay everything down before my feet because there's only one response you're gonna get from me. And that is, I love you and you're forgiven. And so God, I just pray for us all tonight where we have been trying to take control or whether we've just ignored you altogether. Jesus, I pray you would help us put our pride aside and be humble enough like that woman to come before you and to say, Jesus, I want to be close with you. I want to believe that there is no one like you. Help me receive your freedom in forgiveness, Lord. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, we are about to take communion tonight. And I would just love us while we take communion, not to see it as a kind of somber affair. I know that's quite difficult because we're thinking about Jesus' death, his broken body and his blood that's been poured out. But actually the gospel is Jesus didn't just die. Jesus rose again three days later and Jesus has the victory over death. And actually, he is having a party in heaven when we come to him in repentance. If any of you then just in your heart said, Jesus, I want to come before you, he is having an absolute party in heaven. So 
see this as well as a celebration of freedom, the freedom that Christ brings each one of us. And he does want each one of us. There's no amount of sin, there's no amount of shame, there's no amount of mistakes that Jesus can't forgive. And so I'm just going to end in a prayer. I'm going to invite the band up and invite you guys for communion. Jesus, again, we give ourselves to you and we say there is no one like you. There is no one like you who can forgive our sins because you are God. And God, may we recognize that you are God, like that sinful woman. And may we respond by coming to your feet in worship, in adoration. And Jesus, I just pray that even as we worship now, that we'd be free to just worship however we want, whether that's on our knees, whether that's lying down, that's cheering, clapping, and just not being embarrassed, just like this woman was not embarrassed to lay herself before you and to pour out even the most expensive things she had before you because you are worthy of not only the most expensive things, not only the best things in this world, but you are worthy of our whole life. You are better than it all. Jesus, may you help us see and believe that there truly is no one like you. And we pray that in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.